Hi, and welcome to another Leading Your International Schools podcast. My name is Barry Cooper. I'm the principal here at the Global College in Madrid. So this is with Leading Your International School. And obviously, as always, the podcast uh, is uh, supported by TIC, uh, the uh, the recruitment uh, uh, agents uh, across the world. So international schools looking for uh, new teachers. It's uh, a one-stop shop. Um, with us today is uh, a very good friend and an amazing educator, uh, Joe Evans. Joe has been an educator uh, overseas for a number of years, working in the British Overseas Territories, working in the Middle East in Qatar, and then working in three amazing schools in China. Uh, Joe has been part of startup teams in various places around the world and also led the startup process in uh, her most recent school when the head as we know in international schools, wasn't able to arrive in the country in time. So what we're talking about today is that process, is startup, is that last 30 days, the 15 days before the students arrive and the 15 days uh, uh, when after the students get there. So to the, that, that, that moment of excitement, that moment of energy, uh, and also that moment when all of the problems seem to come and how best to deal with it and how best to, as uh, keep said keep your head when all about are losing theirs joe i know your camera's uh, uh not on at the moment um due to a tech issue but uh, this is a, a podcast so we don't need to worry about that um so thank you so much for being with us um joe um what's the best way to start a school oh gosh you know if i could answer that easily then um yeah i'd, I'd, I'd be sorted wouldn't i for the rest of my career um i, I don't know if there is a right or wrong way obviously when I did a startup, it was in the most unusual circumstances because it was in 2020 in China when everything was shut down because of COVID. Um, and I think, you know, the startups are always going to be difficult. That just adds a whole other element of complexity into it. Um, but it was it was it was a steep learning curve. That's for sure. Um, I think that pre-operational time is really important. Um, and because of, um, of the, the kind of COVID, um, the way it was happening, um, rolling out in China, we didn't get uh, a pre-operational period in the way that we would have hoped for. Um, there was a lot of the non-academic teams already on the ground, but the academic team weren't there um, until uh, about six weeks before the opening. A lot of it was done remotely. Um, and and, and that, that was, I think we missed out on a, a lot of opportunity there. Um, and although we know that we can work online, um, you know, well, you can't replace sitting around the table together and having those conversations and, and planning when you're all in the same room, um, not spread out across the world in different time zones. What do you think is the, the, the most important part of that pre-operational uh, process? What's the thing that for you as a leader, you think, actually, that's what I want? Um, I think one of the, the things that, that we missed out on because the non-academic teams were already on the ground was, was identifying exactly what our vision was going to be for the school and what we were going to deliver. Um, you know, I think the, the non-academic team in China um, hadn't quite grasped what we were going to do as an educational team. There was a kind of an, an idea of what we were going to deliver, what, what it would look like, but we had very different opinions. And so what they were selling to parents coming in was very different from what we thought we were going to deliver and, and that caused a little bit of conflict in the first couple of weeks when we were trying to uh, sort of re-articulate to parents what we were going to do um, and, and so I, I think having those conversations and laying that out from the very beginning with everybody so it's very clear um, would is, is, is very you know um, important. 
you've worked in I mean a number of different places how how important do you think that that culture of of unification between the different aspects of the the college is uh, when you bring you know, the pastoral side the academic side the business side all together what what are, what what kind of you know, benefits can you get out of a really good synergy um, I, I, it's absolutely vital that everybody's singing from the same hymn sheet, really, because when once you've got that, you've got the identity, you're, you've got confidence in what you're providing. Now, I've worked in um, profit making schools, non-profit schools. I've worked in um, governmental organisations. Um, and I, I think one of the, the, the consistency there is that you know, you, you've got clarity of what you're doing in your school and what your outcomes are going to be. Um, so it, it's vital that everybody understands um, and knows what their role is in making that happen. So in terms of, of school culture, we're talking about different places in the world now. Um, is there, a say, for example, a difference um, joining a school and, and starting that school, even if it's starting its third, fourth, fifth year in you know, British overseas territory from um, yeah, the Middle East, from different places in China? And I think with China, the really interesting thing is actually the, the culture in the north is going to be very different from the culture in the south or the culture in the west or the east. Are there similarities that you find in every school? So things that people, you know, leaders can look at and go, okay, I know I'm going to see this. And, and what are maybe are the idiosyncrasies? What did you find? What are, what are the what are the differences you experienced? Um, I think, yeah, and the similarities are always there that you know you're there for a purpose and and you want to do what's best for the students. They're always the priority. Um, I, th I think what I found in the Middle East certainly um, was parental expectations. The school are very different to those in China. Um, you know the the and, and this isn't you know, kind of standard across the board, but the many of the parents that I worked with in the Middle East were kind of well, there's a child, you go and educate them, and you know don't set them homework. I don't want to help with that at home. And whereas in China it's very very different in that um, you know they're they're very involved in their child's education and want to be and and, and um, constantly asking questions of you rather than just you know allowing you to come and I don't think there's the, either of those are um, you know particularly the best way to go about things you want to have a middle ground um, obviously the process of getting to these places you know it's, it's all the same isn't it you know you go through your paperwork your HR department need to be on top of everything and, and you know getting you over into the country and getting everything stamped for your visa um, I think the settling in process um, is is always going to be difficult um, trying to learn a new culture particularly there's a language barrier um, is you know is, is is always troublesome and and, and but fun as well it's you know it, it's a great opportunity to, to learn more um, obviously you know if, if you're starting up a school you're going somewhere new you're trying to kind of manage all of that um and you know kind of get on with with the job as well which can sometimes make things um the, I suppose the settling in period a lot more difficult and that's something that I found with new staff coming over into to China when we opened in in COVID particularly because everything was so bizarre in China at that time um the settling in process for our, our um, academic team was was very difficult in some cases um, and that then did impact on their ability um to you know to do their job in the way that you know they would normally do it um we, we saw some amazing examples of resilience um but also some people who just really um, were out of their depth with everything that they'd kind of landed themselves in that's i mean i it's, it's an experience i think that people have had across the world in terms of going into a new job in that really difficult international period international time during covid um you mentioned three things that maybe i want to pick up on a little bit there in terms of um the onboarding of the team and the working internationally for the first time maybe 
Um, the first was language. How how important did you find it was, say, for example, in China to have that language? Was it something that was just functional for you every day? And so supermarkets and things like that? Or was it something that provided um, an additional strength to when you were dealing with parents? Was there a cultural element to it that, that actually helped you when working with families? I, the language is really important. And when I first got to China, I was in Beijing. So, you know, you can very easily get around Beijing. And again, when I was in Shanghai without speaking much Chinese, um, when I moved down to south of China, very different. You know, the, 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 there wasn't a big expat population there. English wasn't widely spoken. Um, it was really important to have that that language. And I, I know I'd say to anybody, even if you are going to Beijing or Shanghai or big cities where there's expats, learn some of the language, even if it's just a few words to show that you're acknowledging um, that you know you're you're in a, a different country and, and you want to embrace that and I think through learning the language as well you learn so much about the culture um, that that you're you're dealing with and and it certainly definitely definitely helped with communicating with parents even though you know I couldn't hold a, a full conversation um, with um, with the parents but just an opening a few words here and there just to show that that you're making the effort is important. Similarly, when I was in Qatar, um, I, I I was learning Arabic there as well. Um, and and it was it was really nice. I did like a community group for for some of the moms. Um, we were we were knitting actually. We were knitting blankets for a charity in the middle of the desert. Um, but be, being able to to kind of you know talk to them in their own language a little bit, um, and 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 they they were very amused by my my efforts and my pronunciations of things. But it does break down a lot of barriers. Um, and but it also you know from from your own point of view from settling in somewhere, if you've you've got some of the language you can get around, it makes things a lot easier. I mean, I know I've seen I've seen a lot of people struggle where they haven't had access to any of the language and particularly somewhere like China where it, it's you know it's not just language but it's you know, the character system in in writing. It makes um accessing things very difficult when when working with with people in a in a second language <clears throat> one of the one of the struggles i find having been brought up um in a you know anglophone environment is this idea of someone speaking a foreign language we're often quite reluctant um my experience working with with other people in so here in spain in china middle east um is if you try to make that effort to speak a little bit of the language there's always i think without fail a smile on the face of the other person is that something you experience as well the 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 that that willingness to try to make communication happen because you've started it in their language yeah absolutely and i think you know you've got to be brave as well and i know that um it, it it can sometimes be embarrassing. You don't want to say the wrong thing, particularly if it's a tonal language like Chinese. You don't know if you're going to use the wrong tone and say something really, really offensive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Which I have done. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we laughed it off eventually. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think showing that you're making the effort is is such an important um, way of breaking down that initial barrier. Um, and and you've got to be brave. You've got to give it a go. You've got to be prepared to make mistakes. You know, make mistakes. You, you you're not going to learn a language if if you're not prepared to put yourself out there and possibly make a fool of yourself a little bit as well but but that's part of the process isn't it it's it's certainly part of the process i've experienced um in, in terms of the parents i mean i love the I, I have this vision now of you sitting in the middle of the desert knitting um like something from a movie but um, i know it probably wasn't as as grand as i'm imagining you know kind of palm palm trees and dunes <laughs> in the distance um but i've, I've always thought for, for my from my experience parents can if if they're worked with in the right way can be a school's superpower sometimes mm -hmm. how have you found that in in that onboarding process and bringing parents into the into the community is that something that you would say it's worked every time or are there are there 
difficulties as well that maybe um, people will experience? Yeah, I think and you're right. They are you kind of your superpower. Um, if you get the the right parents in the right way, they can become a voice for the school and advocate for it and and really pull people in. But similarly, if you've got a disgruntled parent who's very vocal, um, you know they can also um, turn that the other way. So I, I think you've got to really think about how you engage with parents. You know, we we've certainly um, in all the schools that I've been in had very strong um, kind of parental presence, whether it's through a kind of a you know a kind of friends group or running um, sessions for parents uh, on various things. I mean, it could just be information about GCSE options or the curriculum, but also um, giving them an opportunity. I've, I've run um, safeguarding training for parents as well, so so they understand why we you know make the decisions that we do why we have the policies that we do and how we operate um i think any opportunity to bring parents in um is is it should be taken really um because you know that they they also want to be involved um and yeah. certainly in the in the kind of schools that we're working in they are paying um fees and and you know that, that's part of the service that you, you you're giving them um but as i say if you do it right and get the right parents in use them as reps um you know get them to to work for you in that way Absolutely. The uh, I think the the interesting thing is that there's the disgruntled parent, and I think for having both kind of been in startups for for a while now, the the first week is always the the week when the problems kind of occur, and these mm. are the problems that we've we've not seen coming. Mm. Um, usually, there's a lot of problems that you see coming and that you fix, and you you go into that first week with a level of confidence. When those problems do occur, what's the, I mean, is there a, a way of thinking about those problems, whatever they may be, you know, um, you know, an issue with the timetable, an issue with a, uh, you know, a subject selection, an issue with a, a student's experience on the first day? Is there a, a methodology or a way of approaching it that's, that's best, that works, you know, for, has it worked for you um, over the past uh, years? I think, um I mean, obviously, you know, you do all your, your kind of your checks and measures before opening. Um, you know, you've got your risk register in place. You, you, you know, you, you try and predict anything that might go wrong and, and cut it off before it does. But there is always something um, because you're dealing with people, and people are, you know, are different and respond differently to things. I, I think when 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 you do have issues, you just got to communicate openly, honestly. You know, if if something is your fault you put your hands up and say I'm really sorry how are we going to fix this what will be the best outcome for you um and work with the parents um on and and, and you know the, the students and the other stakeholders in making sure that you you find a resolution um that suits everybody um you know in some way um but I, I think that that communication is really important and and again you know that that can be hindered when you're working in a different language um in yeah. a different culture if you haven't got to to grips with the culture yet you know understanding one of the things with with a lot of the Chinese parents that I worked with is they come on mass. One parent might have a problem, but then they they bring seven or eight of their friends with them rather than dealing with it individually. And then the problem becomes everybody's. So I, I think you know before going into anything like that, look at who you're dealing with, um, where they're coming from as well, what the culture is, and how they deal with problems, because that will give you a much better insight in how you respond to it. There's, I, I've seen a number of, um, and uh, I, I would encourage people to look at this on on online, on LinkedIn. There's um, there's a number of um, uh, businesses now working with cultural education for companies moving internationally, um, where they give you an insight into that new culture in, say, the Middle East, in China, Asia, Latin America. Is there is there a need for that for for teams going into uh, a new opening school in uh, in a new country do you think 
Good question. I don't know. I, I mean, I can never do harm to learn more about the culture you're going into. But of course, you know, going into a culture as a, as a wider thing is very different from going into a school community. Um, you know, you're you looking at what you, you know your demographic is going to be in our international schools. Um, certainly, the last school I worked at, it was it was a very local. Chinese um, community, whereas my previous schools in China have been very much international. Um, so I, I, I think, yeah, there's an element at which that would be very, very useful. Um, but the, the demographics of schools are very particular. And so you'd, you'd need to dig a bit deeper within that context as well. The, as we move into the opening of the school, the students are there. Um, and, you know, this is what's happening for a number of us next week. The students are coming back. We have new cohorts, et cetera. What's the, uh, to what extent should you be in the process of uh, review and and planning and review and planning during those first few weeks? Is it something you should pay close attention to? Is it something you should let run for a little while to see where the problems are? What's, uh, what's your take on that? I'm undecided. I don't know if I should be doing this uh, each day or if I should give the, the school a chance to settle. Um, you've got to keep it in flux, um, really. I mean, we, we had um, a very interesting time when when we opened the last school in 2020. Um, you know, we had to throw everything out and start again three times over. Um, education reform coming in in China um, at that time uh, meant that we had to change everything. So, so I guess you've got to look at where your flexibility is, what you what you can allow to run, um, um, and what needs to be changed. Um, you know, very quickly. I think it's absolutely vital that every day you sit down with your team and you have a debrief about what's happened that day um, and, and think about, you know, is there something that we do need to change for tomorrow? Can we let this one run for a little bit? Um, you know, where, where the, the kind of the pressure points were during the day um, and, and make time for that so that you go into the, the following day, um, you know, ready for, for anything that, that may um, occur and obviously you know you don't know what emails you're going to get <laughs> night and um, yeah, yeah the, the, the working day has to be extended earlier yeah. and later and uh, during those first few weeks to mm. to accommodate all of that the um i mean obviously a startup school is is the startup process so you have your pre-opening period you have your opening year but then every time you then move forward until you have a, a full cohort in the school you are you're doing something new uh, so the startup process keeps rolling on. How do how should um, people you know attempt that difficult second year, the difficult second album? Um, you know when they're opening for year two, should they be just doing the same again, or just completely renewing and reviewing and and changing their tactic? I think I mean schools are always in a state of flux. I think um, I, I, it's important that you identify the areas that need to be celebrated um, and kept, but also look at what needs developing. And obviously, you know, as the school grows, the needs are going to be different. Um, you know, you're going to need more staff coming in. Um, how do you, you know, how do you manage the startup staff are always a, a, you know, a cohort that are very close. They've, they've been through something together. And then the second year when you're expanding, you're bringing more people in. How are you going to integrate those staff and students um, in, into your school? So I, I, I don't think it's a case of... Uh, rewriting everything but certainly look at the areas that that maybe you weren't happy with you know if, if you were opening up a game what would you do differently whether that's um i don't know making sure that the lines on the, the picture are correct or the, <laughs> there's enough water or there's enough knives and forks in the canteen yeah. um there's, there's all sorts that, that you can do but take time to look at what's gone well and what what you can celebrate because those those are the victories that you do really need to draw upon 
I think that was that was something a very smart colleague uh, when we were talking about the our new year um, here uh, was very keen to point out that we should ensure that we keep what makes the school special while improving the things that we want to improve. I think you're you're absolutely right with that. I think it's super important to celebrate the 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 individuals, the teaching, the learning, the students. Um, I think that you, you touched on a really interesting point. I think something that's really important is that idea of integration. Um, Bringing a new team members, you know, halfway through the year or to, you know, at the start of a new year. Do you have any tips and tricks for that? Or is it simply a case of throwing man hours at it and making sure they're comfortable and they, they understand and they, they've got to meet everyone who, who they need to? I think um, the integrating or bringing on new staff shouldn't just be the role of leadership. I think, you know, everybody needs to be um, part of that. So, you know, include the the rest of your your staff team, you know, whether it's using them as buddies or, you know, kind of putting them into, you know, someone in their department you've got contact with, but make them part of the process as well. Um, I, you know, somewhere we both worked previously had the the kind of the president's of the common room, which I remember you were. I was, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was fun. To me come on board. Um, but but I, I think that's a really important role to have. Um, somebody who's not on the leadership team who who can kind of work with new staff as they they come in and um and I, I yeah it's very valuable I've still got the emails that you sent your color-coded kind of hour by hour breakdown of what was going to happen when we arrived in um in China so so thank you for that I, I'm, I'm keeping that one and I'll use it in the future De- definitely I think yeah the the great teachers invent but the very very best teachers steal and I think I stole that from somebody else so um may it be used wisely um <laughs> The, I mean, we were kind of, kind of coming to the end of our chat because we were talking about that 30 days, that kind of that buzz, that energy. Um, I mean, from from your perspective, having started a school and being part of startups, what what would be your advice to to teachers thinking about joining a startup school, but also leaders thinking about you know taking on a startup project? Um. For all the, the the kind of difficulties we had and all the stress and the pressure, I really enjoyed it. Um, it's it's a great opportunity to to mold something, um, to 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 be there at the very beginning and and see it develop and grow. And it's a huge sense of pride when you get to that final day of the academic year and you look back on the journey that you've been through. It's, it's absolutely wonderful. You're exhausted, but it's wonderful. Um, and so I, I I would certainly you know say to someone don't shy away from from doing a startup, but go into it with a very open mind and a lot of flexibility um, because you, know, you will have to kind of change um, you know, on a, on a turn on a sixpence with, with many things um, and and there's a lot of resilience that is required as well, um, particularly for doing it internationally, because you know, you know know what you're getting into in terms of local compliance. Um, you know, know who you're working with, and that what what are the regulations? What what is the absolute non-negotiable in terms of compliance, and where can you, you know, start to to kind of shift the goalpost a little bit? Um, those are things that that are really important. But startups are great fun; they really are, and and it's very rewarding. I agree. Absolutely agree. Um, and a final, final question. Um, working overseas, obviously, you know, um, but but coming from 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 that British background, what what's the one thing that you always try and seek out and, and find in in you know a new international school in a new a new place that you're working? I, I posted about this the other day. For me, really good marmalade. 
love it. So always try and grab it. And if I'm passing through an airport, I will I will dive into Fortnum and Masons and uh, much to my wife's disgust and come back with a, a shopping bag full of um, of uh, different kinds of marmalades. What's what's that one thing for you that you just if I can get hold of it, if I can get a supply that that just makes all the difference. Food stuff don't don't it doesn't bother me. I kind of I when I, I remember when I first went overseas and I, I saw a colleague spending an absolute fortune in an import shop buying British kind of products. And I thought, well, I'm going to eat what the locals eat around here, and then I'll appreciate it a lot more when I go back to the UK. So I've I've never I never buy imported stuff. Um, I, I just as as a matter of rule really because I. I yeah, I, I like to embrace the culture that I'm in. Um, well, in that case, I'm going to ask you a, a, a la- their last, last question. Deodorant is always one. Well, no, but in that case, what's what's the thing that you've taken away from working in these different countries? You think, oh, that's an amazing meal or that's an amazing thing. Uh, for me in China, it was uh, Xiaolongbao. So yeah. these dumplings so in Shanghai, them. yeah. What, what was what's the what's the thing for you then? The 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 cultural aspect that you you maybe miss from being in that country. Um, yeah, food always food. Um, yeah, we we sat down the other day actually and made dumplings around the kitchen table, um, which was really really lovely. Um, with my nieces, thoroughly enjoyed that. Um, I, I wouldn't say they were particularly great dumplings, and if any one who's actually Chinese saw them they would probably pull a face at me but we enjoyed them and the process and, and that's what's important it's the, the the process of making them getting everyone around the table together um I, th- I think that that's one of the things I love about working internationally and traveling to different places it's, it's food <laughs> and the, the, the same for me um Joe thank you so much for, for sharing your experiences um I it's I think it's these kinds of conversations are, are vital for anyone who's thinking about moving overseas or leading a school overseas and getting you know, the experiential wisdom from from people who've been there and done it and I know you've done such an amazing amount of different things in in your time and um uh, probably one of the most well-read women I know um so um thank you so much best of luck with your new project which is under wraps at the moment but we'll hear about in probably 2024 so a looking forward to hearing about that um and i think joe can be found on linkedin if you want to connect and uh, i think very much someone that i seek advice from um and uh i thank everyone who's listening for for being here today joe any last thoughts no you put me in the spot there no not at all thank you Laurie. it's been really <laughs> lovely to talk to you and um yeah as you say i'm on linkedin if anyone wants to to um look me up there and um i hope you have the opportunity to talk again very soon Fantastic. Take care and thank you very much, everyone, for listening.